I remember being very self-conscious about my, my clothes. Like when I got to high school back in the day, I was always self-conscious about that and my lack of fashion sense. I know that that shocks you right now. <laughs> I get it. But I struggled with, uh, yeah, wearing the right clothes. Because you know, I don't know what it is about high school, but all of a sudden you care about that stuff, you know? And for us guys, we're told we're sh we should bathe regularly. That's what we were told, you know? A deodorant, whatever that is. I don't know. But clothes always seemed to get me. And, and the thing is, we, we didn't have a lot of money back in the day. And it seems like all my friends had the brand name stuff all the time. And back in the 80s, now this is going to go back a bit, but there were certain brands you had to wear to be in the cool kids group. You see what I'm saying? Beyond just the members' jackets, those were pretty cool. Anybody else have one of those? You have one of those with the little thing? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I think they're coming back. Anyway, I digress. But we started at Levi's. That was like entry level. But then you had to have the guest jeans. You know, some of you gals are like, yeah, guest jeans. They were expensive. And then there was a watch brand called Swatch. That, you know, that's what the, you got to have one of those. They had multiple colors on them. Those were cool. I never had one. There was uh, Stussy. If anybody was like, into skateboarding and stuff. Now, I grew up on a farm surrounded by gravel. So skateboarding was not in the cards for me. But then there was Ocean Pacific. And that was more like the, the surfer California brand, you know? And where we live here, not a lot of people are surfing the Oregon coast out of Lincoln City. If you are, you are a special individual because it's cold, cold, cold. But I wore Ocean Pacific when I could even though I never surfed. And last but not least, there was this basketball player back in the day who played for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, he had these shoes that were the thing you had to have. And do I even need to say the brand? <laughs> Nike Air Jordans. Come on, that was, you had to have a pair of those. I, I don't even remember if I ever got those. But these brands, and I felt like I needed to have these labels you know, the, the special markings to show that I was in the cool crowd. Anybody else been bitten by that in your life where you had to have the good labels of stuff? Yeah. It, it changes over time. Now it's like the car brand, you know, or things like that. And uh, it, it can be a trap, you know, having these brands and labels that somehow mark your identity. You know, instead of being kind to people, uh, you know, loving your neighbor, those things that are character built. No, no, no. We want the label. That's what's going to determine whether we're cool or not, or if you want to hang out. It's kind of sad, isn't it? That sometimes that's where we've gotten our identity, our markers. Well, today we are going to talk a little bit about labels and markers and what we're identifying with. And we're going to get into that text today. So if you have a Bible or a device, find Revelation chapter 6. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm so glad you've joined us today, whether that be in person or online. We are here like uh, Christ followers all over the planet. We meet on the first day of the week because that was the day Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead and changed human history forever. And so we gather like this, like, again, believers all over the world. We're one big dysfunctional family of faith, and we're trying to follow the ways of Jesus. And so today we do that together. 
So glad you're here. Hope you brought a Bible and you're ready to listen for what God has for you. Today's title is Seven Seals, Seven Trumpets, and 144,000. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the apocalypse. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love and faithfulness. We're so thankful that you're in charge and we're not. And Father, we submit to you. Again, we surrender to, to what you would have for us. Uh, Father, to, to, the, to the viewpoint that you would have for us to have in the world and as we look at things that are happening and that, Father, we would trust you because you're good and that you have it all figured out. So we trust you as we read and take in to heart what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just, let's just do that. Revelation chapter 6. Now, if you remember, if you were here last week, we did Revelation 4 and 5, which is kind of this glimpse of heaven. We ended with this kind of distraught author, our author John, who was weeping because at some point there was a scroll that had seven seals. And who was worthy to open up that scroll? Nobody was found worthy except the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who conquered through death. The Lamb could open the seven seals. So that's how we kind of ended. There was a bunch of praise songs, if you remember that. Now we hit chapter 6 and all bets are off, folks. From 6 to 16, things get a little crazy. And you're so glad you came today, so you're welcome. So now, as we would expect, we're opening the seals. And this is the first group of seven, and there's going to be three of them. Remember, Revelation has some numbers that repeat themselves. Three is a big one, seven is even a bigger one. So you're, you should expect to hear some sevens as you read. I wanted to read six through nine like I normally do in our gatherings. It takes about 12 minutes if I read fast. So this morning I'm going to give you a highlight reel so that you can take this into your week and actually read it. You know, spend the 10 minutes in the text and, and hopefully there'll be some things we talk about that'll help maybe your study and that it'll help you in, in studying the scripture. Because it's amazing to me how when you just read the text, there's a lot of stuff that God can tell you in the text. So I encourage you to do that this week. But let's just start chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. I don't even know what that would sound like. Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So we start out with the first seal, and we got a horse. I don't even know how that works. You open a seal, suddenly there's a horse. I don't know how that all plays out. I don't think the horse came out of the seal, but we have a horse. And then we have three more. There's the four horsemen, right? And so each of these four seals, you have a different colored horse. So all of these have their own role to play in what is going to be the ensuing judgment of God upon all evil. And this is just the beginning part with these four horses. And, and so that happens. And then we get to the fifth seal. Remember, we're opening seals, right? We get to the fifth seal and we have this moment with the martyrs. Who are the martyrs? What does that even mean? People that have lost their lives for standing up for Jesus. Now, in the first century, anybody in the first century would go, yeah, like John, or like my friend Stan, or like Judy. They would know likely 
people who died at the hands of the Roman Empire because of this illegal religion called Christianity. So this is very grounded in the first century, folks. Right away, people are going, I know people that have lost their lives. And so we get to the fifth seal, and those people are addressed. Those folks that want justice, they have, they have lost their lives, and they, they're waiting for justice. Isn't it true that sometimes human justice just doesn't cut it? We miss too much in human justice, but God sees everything. And he can bring fair and actual true divine judgment. And so the martyrs are waiting. When are we going to get justice? And, and they're told, just rest. Wait a little bit. Here's a white robe. Rest a little bit. So that's the fifth seal. We get to the, the sixth seal, and things start happening around the globe. Stuff starts shaking and moving. Now we have sort of this geography issue where mountains are falling and all this stuff's happening. Lots of, and then the kings and leaders of the earth are running for the hills. You ever heard that phrase? likely where this came from. They're running from the hills trying to hide from basically worldwide catastrophic destruction. And this is just a bit of it. This is just the start of it. And at the end they're saying, who can stand? But then we get to chapter 7. And that famous number, the 144,000. Now there are some religions and groups that take that number and say, well, that's the exact number of people who are going to make it to heaven. Everybody else, sorry. Well, that may be a bit of a misunderstanding of what these numbers mean. Remember, seven was a number of completion. Twelve, that's an important number. That's the full tribes of Israel. And so you have multiples of these numbers. And the 144,000 is directed toward you know, God's original people, say the, the people of Israel, the ancient Israelites. So we get this listed as those, and it goes 12,000 for this tribe and 12,000. And so you get that, that number. Be aware, though, that the listing here should create a little bit of a red flag for anybody that knows the 12 tribes of Israel. Because something is off in this list. Multiple things are off in this list. But then, not just God's ancient people, but then every tribe, tongue, and nation. So the 144,000 is looking at all of us. Anyone who claims the lamb instead of being marked by the beast. We're team lamb. We don't have the beast tattoo or the dragon tattoo. We got the Jesus lamb tattoo. And so you have these two different groups. But here, you're seeing Jews and Gentiles all together, every tribe, tongue, and nation, as part of that group, the people who call and identify and mark with, with the Lamb. We're identifying with the Lamb. And a great multitude, and they're singing out, having a worship service here in chapter 7. And at one point, John gets asked something by one of the elders standing around in this celebration. And we'll get to that. But it's an interesting question. But we get to the, we've been waiting for the last seal, the seventh seal. We get to the seventh seal, and all of a sudden we have silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. What does that have to do? What are we talking about there? 30 minutes of silence? What does that mean? We've been in this downward path of destruction, and all of a sudden we get this 30-minute pause. Okay, well, that, that, that's interesting. And... Then we, we move to the trumpets. So what did we start with? Seven seals, right? 
Those were all opened, and there are different things happening with those. Then we get to the seven trumpets, and it, it begins even more destruction. More things begin to get upended. And we have these trumpets that are blown by the angels, and we get through to the fourth angel blowing his trumpet, and you have very plague-like things happening. Hail and darkness and blood in the water and bitter waters. Sounds a lot like some other time frame in Israel. Anybody? There was a Pharaoh involved. And also, yeah, and Moses. Sounds a lot like the plagues. And that will even get more enhanced as we get to the seven bowls. So we have three. Here we go with numbers. It's going to be a mathematical message today. Three, and then the seven, seven. Seven and 140. You see what's happening here. We have some numbers of completion, numbers of completing the process. Think of that. I know we, we tend to look at seven and we have different thoughts there, but these are numbers of completion. And so we get to chapter nine, and there's a fifth angel blowing his trumpet. You have this, this movement from heaven to the planet, and then this opening of the abyss that happens. And then things are released that are super scary. They're like crazy locusts. Now, we don't really live around locusts, but I don't really want them coming after me because that's scary. Uh, but it doesn't happen for very long, so we'll talk about this. So there's locusts, which anybody in the first century and anybody who knows the prophets would go, Joel. If you've ever read the little book in the Old Testament uh, bit that's one of the prophets, Joel, guess what little creature he talks about? Locusts. Remember, there's not a lot of new material in Revelation. First century hearers would have been like, oh yeah, that sounds like, because they knew their Bibles. I wish that we knew ours better than we do. Because <laughs> they would have been, of course, it's, uh, that's Joel. He's another prophet. These, are, the, these symbols are rich in the prophets of ancient Israel. And John is putting them, he's orchestrating them together, directed by God to show us that there is justice. And actually, that's a good thing. So we have angels blowing their trumpets. And you have moments where uh, the, 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 the horses are held back. At one point you have the horses again, and they're at the four corners of the planet. The four horsemen at the four corners of the planet, and they're held back for a certain time in a certain place so that everybody who follows the Lamb can be accounted for. Interesting, isn't it? That God has a place, not just for the martyrs, those who lost their lives, but anyone who would identify with the Lamb. There's some special protections there. And I think that's good for us to hear as we're moving through these scary, scary images. So we have four chapters of all kinds of things going on, and we have the beginning of justice. And I really do believe, before we get too far into it, look, we desire justice, don't we? There are times in human history that justice, human justice just haven't, hasn't cut it. Think of all the tragedies that have happened and how few people have really been held accountable. We need the perfect, fair, just justice of God Almighty, don't we? And I think that's important. It, it is scary to read sometimes, but there is a sense of judgment. 
And sometimes people look at these seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, we'll get there, uh, in different ways. Some people look at it as, well, first of all, there's a pattern, as you should expect. So when you look at the seven seals or the seven trumpets or the seven bowls, there are a division of four and three. Again, shocking. I told you this is going to be a lot about math. So generally, the way this works is there are four earthy judgments, if you will, kind of more dealing with earth and earthy things, and then three more cosmic things. And that pattern repeats itself. So four earthy things going on, things shaken, being destroyed, that sort of thing. Then you have three more cosmic things, and that pattern repeats itself. So just as you're reading this this week, hopefully that'll kind of have that in the back of your mind and look for it. The text is really rich. So there's three different views on these judgments. Some people think that these seven, actually this is what I used to think actually, the, the three sevens, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls that are coming, I thought those were all talking about the same thing. Just like three different camera angles on the same thing. For, for, for years I thought that. Uh, and I've kind of switched my view now that I've been looking at this. But So some people think that it's three different camera angles on the same sort of bits of judgment, seven judgments that are told. Um, so that's one view. There's another view called the consecutive view, which looks at these seven and kind of parses them out to 21. You're loving this math, aren't you? I'm really good at this 21. As long as it's simple math, I can do that. So you got 21, and some view this as this consecutive progression, so that you get uh, this element and this element and this element, like 21 separate consecutive judgments, all chronological. So that's another way to look at it. The last one is probably more where I'm at right now. And again, that's just my opinion. Uh, but there's another view called a, a progressive intensity sort of way to look at it. That is, the, these seals and then they get to trumpets, and it's a little bit more intense. And then when we get to the bowls, it's very, very intense. And so that's another way to look at it, sort of this, the, the, the result of the judgment seems to be getting more and more serious. Does that make sense? And again, you, can, you read it this week, and you let me know where you come at. But that seems to be, and again, commentators, are, they, don't, they don't land sometimes on all these. So good luck if you're thinking, well, I'm going to look at a good commentary, and they'll tell me. Well, just remember when we started this series in, in, in Revelation, could be, maybe, not sure, God doesn't want to know. God doesn't want us to know. I don't know. But it's, it's not so easy sometimes. But this progressive element, because at first, it seems like a quarter of the planet's kind of, kind of roughed up. And then when we get to the bowls, you're going to see like complete destruction starting to happen. So you get this idea of judgments leading somewhere, leading to the end of history. Um, but you, you find your, your way as you read 6 through 16. Okay, so then we, uh, we're moving through and we get all of these images and symbols. Again, very rich for someone in the first century because they would remember the prophets. And the prophets talking about plague-like things and, and the earth and the, the, the elements happening and peals of thunder and things moving. These were all very vivid imagery that would have been very familiar to most first century Jews and first century Christians that would have been very similar to them. But I find it interesting as these seals are released and we get to that fifth seal and those martyrs are just wondering, when are we going to be, when are we going to get justice? And God just tell them, just rest a little longer. 
Rest a little longer. Because God's heart in all of this is that everyone would come to him. He wants everybody to, to join Team Lamb. His vote is yes to humanity. Unfortunately, humanity's vote is often, and we'll see that toward the end. So, he wants everybody to, to say yes, but often that isn't the case. And we see here the beginnings of a bit of an oxymoron, the wrath of the Lamb. Doesn't it sound odd? that you'd, you, you think lamb, and that's cute, but then the wrath of the lamb. At some point, there is the judgment of God. And this is just something we need to realize. Now, in Christ, we have everything we need, but judgment is still coming, and it'll happen, and we need it to happen. So, we have lots going on here. I get that. I want to point out one thing, though. And again, I'm curious to see what you think as you read slowly this week. It took me about 12 minutes, 6 through uh, 9, but I encourage you to read that. Because when you get through the end of some of these scary things, you would think whoever, whatever humans are still around after all this, they'd be like, I'm joining Team Lamb. Get the, I'm going to take this tattoo of the dragon and beast off me. I'm going to put the lamb on here because I want lamb time. I want to be on Team Lamb. What happens at the end of chapter 9 is tragic. In fact, let's just read that a little bit. All these people that have seen the suffering, you'd think, you know what? That's, we've been on the wrong team. But what happens? The rest of mankind, this is verse 20, who were not killed by the plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They just kept plowing ahead. Same old, same old. God's going to do whatever he's going to do and I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. The tragedy of human stubbornness and how we are so swayed by whatever we want to do. This is a, this is a tension that we face. The reality. Sad, isn't it? And God's heart's breaking too. God's heart is, he's already told us, my vote is for you. I love you more than you could possibly imagine. Even though you're more sinful than you even want to realize. His vote has always been yes for us. But even in the midst of all that confrontation and destruction, many in humanity are just going to say, I still don't want it. And that is, that's heartbreaking. So I want to point out something. And I said it as we passed it. Look at chapter 7. If you still have your Bible or device open, look at this listing of the tribes of Israel. Now, some of you are Bible nerds, and you would have noticed that the first name in the list is wrong. Okay, look at it. If you have it in your device or whatever, the first name is wrong. Who is the firstborn of Israel? Reuben. Who's the firstborn in this list? I'm not even going to... Wait, do I have it up here? Okay. <laughs> Judah is first. The line of Judah, the kingly line, now shows up first. So that's interesting, because firstborn in Israel, patriarchal society, right? Firstborn is a big deal. You don't, that's, you don't throw that around willy-nilly, because firstborn got all the good stuff, right? Now, firstborn has been bumped. Now, Reuben was firstborn. He's still got a pretty high place, but he's been bumped. The order has shifted. 
It doesn't end there. What is happening with these 12 tribes? Well, Jesus was born into the tribe of Judah. So now we see that rearrangement. And then we get Reuben, because he was actually the firstborn of Jacob. So that's good, right? But then the tribes of Dan and Ephraim are omitted from the listing. Now, if you look at your Bible, if you're taking notes, look up Judges 17 and 18. And that might explain why these tribes got bumped. They are now ousted. Dan and Ephraim, Judges 17 and 18 will give you a little bit more detail as to potentially why, as they allowed idolatry to take over, that God said, nope, that's not, that's not going to be my deal. All right, we're not done. Why is Joseph in the list? Now, I get it. Joseph was one of Jacob's original sons, so you would have thought he would have had a tribe after him, not his two sons who were born in Egypt. But Joseph now is back in the list as one of the 12 tribes. And Levi. Which, remember, Levi, that's the priestly clan. They don't have land. They're not in the military. So we got these people dropped out and the new people brought in. What is that all about? Maybe it's this. Sometimes we think our pedigree and our, and our you know, family history and our placement, wherever we are born in the world, we have special privileges. And we can do whatever we want, and God's still going to let us have the best spots in the, in the house. I think what we're seeing here is, at the end of days, it's not about your pedigree or your bloodline. It has to do with, are you aligning with the Lamb? I mean, sometimes in, in recent history, we, we've elevated the nation of Israel, even the modern nation of Israel, to a point where it almost becomes an idol. And I think I am encouraged by seeing this list rearranged that Jew, Gentile, the entire, every tribe, tongue, and nation, are we aligning with the Lamb? That's what's important. Do you see that? So, yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the change in the 12 tribes, but that's very, a very interesting thing to wrestle with. I encourage you to wrestle with that. So we have these trumpets that are sounding and soon bowls will come after this. And we have a moment where there's locusts released, which again reminds us of the prophet Joel. But these locusts are only hanging out for about five months. And uh, apparently that's about the lifespan, literally, of a locust. Just in case you didn't know that, you're welcome. Now you know and locusts are scary. I don't want them around me. They're gross. I, I lived in the South for a while, and there was these bugs called cicadas, and they're horrible. They don't hurt you, but I still don't want them around me. And I don't want locusts either, but these locusts are scary. They start to have, like, military might and power, and these things are happening, but for a season. So twice we have periods of five months. Okay, here comes the math. <laughs> five plus five is ten, right? So there's that. So there's 10 months of torture, if you will, in that, which is also 3 plus 7. You see what's happening here. There's all these little hints here 
of this idea of completion and God's process of judgment will happen exactly like it's supposed to. In fact, these angels are orchestrated to some degree. When you read it this week, you'll notice, especially as you get into chapter 8 and chapter 9, they're, they're held back at certain points, and then at the right time, day, and hour, they're released. So this whole thing is orchestrated, and most of the destruction that happens is not against God's people. It's against those who identify not with the Lamb, but they identify with whatever the heck they want to do. They want to, they want to align with the destroyer. They want to align with the dragon we'll get to. They want to align with the beast. And they wear that tattoo proudly all the way to the end. And these beasts that are released, they're, after, they're actually going after their own followers, which is weird. God releases them, and they're going after the people that are worshiping them. It's just this weird, bizarre thing that happens. Down the road in Revelation, we're going to start seeing like even the beasts start fighting each other. Because... <laughs> Evil just likes to beat up on, on evil, turns out. And we'll, we'll see that as we get into the, the rest of the, the book. So we get this, this moment where John sees all these, these armies of God, these, these bajillion of, of, of infantry, so much so that, that John can hear their sound. You almost get the sense of Roman soldiers all lining up and their, their gear is kind of clacking against each other. But worldwide, this army is just going to go out and take care of, essentially, the people who don't align with the Lamb. They align with the beast. In fact, John numbers them. You're getting tired of numbers yet. 20,000 times 10,000, or 20,000 of 110,000. It's like millions is basically what we're talking I, I use the word bajillion, because that's my, I like that word. But lots of, in fact, we think that the, the, the population of Rome was only like 2 million at that point. So to see that many soldiers, nobody's seeing ever seen that many soldiers on the march. Crazy imagery, there's fire, smoke, sulfur, and, and you're seeing like a third of the population, a quarter of the population, you're seeing this destruction happen, and it's scary. And even with all that, no repentance happens, which is, I think, even more of a tragedy. More of a tragedy. There's zero repentance, no remorse, no change of behavior, but business as usual, let's keep going, which just is, is, is sad to me. And the big question is for all of us, right, today, when is this happening? And now I'm going to land exactly when it's going to happen. Tomorrow. This afternoon. Yes. When is it going to happen? We as Christ followers are secure in our faith. We are identified with the Lamb. And it's always near. It's always going to be near. We talked about this already before, right, in the series. It's always going to be near yes and yes. Is it going to be tomorrow? Yes. Is it going to be today? Yes. But we live with the anticipation that we're going to be followers of the Lamb regardless of when it happens. Some of you are older, some of you are younger. Yes and yes. It can happen at any moment, right? And so we already have our marching orders that we can be in His Lamb's book of life and marching to the tune of the Lamb and not human empires or beasts or dragons, none of that. We align with the Lamb. If you say you're a Christ follower, you have marching orders today. So regardless of how this happens and what's going, what the time frame is, all of that, it's, it, it's a scary picture, I get it. But we're, we got marching orders. We're to be so bold as to love our neighbor as ourself and put someone else's needs first and to do unto others as we'd have them do to us. Are you getting some of that? I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's what Christ followers do. That is walking with the Lamb. 
until such time as he comes back, and this all happens, we're walking with the Lamb, and all throughout 6 through 9, you see the special protection God has over those who choose the Lamb. And that's a by-faith thing. That's not even the best people on the planet, those who are really good at everything. No, those are just people that align with the Lamb. And we said, we want the Lamb. That's who has that protection. And the judgment is scary. So my only point today is identify with Christ. Of all the markings and brands and stuff you could wear and stuff you can put on, I'm not talking about a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. I'm saying your life should reflect following the Lamb. That means you're generous and you're kind and you love your neighbor and you care when someone's hurting. This is following the way of the Lamb. That's how you identify with Christ. Jesus himself said, they will know you're mine. Not because of your t-shirt or your bumper sticker or your what would Jesus do bracelet. They will know you're mine because you love. And that's something that we can all agree to and understand. It's not always easy, but that's how we identify with Christ. There was a Jesus, uh, there was a song years ago called Jesus Freak by DC Talk. We need to embrace our Jesus Freak. We need to embrace the fact that we are followers of the Lamb and embrace it proudly. I'm not talking about a bullhorn in people's face. You embrace it proudly by doing what Jesus did, loving your neighbor, even those you disagree with. That's how we do it. That's how we identify with Christ. What's your tag say? Just say, followers of the Lamb. That's the, that's the badge that we wear. And it's not something on our clothes. It's something that we do because of what Jesus did for us. Ephesians 1 says this, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Wear Jesus' name proudly. When it comes to judgment, I like what C.S. Lewis said, and this is how we're going to wrap up. Sometimes we look at judgment or hell, and all, there's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot of imagery that's used in descriptions of, of heaven and hell, and there's some things I don't understand. But I do think there's something to the end of chapter 9 that we read together about all of that destruction, yet people are still going to say no, fully rejecting Jesus. And C.S. Lewis said this in The Great Divorce. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there, there could be no hell. No, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find it. And those who knock, it's opened. In fact, C.S. Lewis will say in another book, hell is like a room where the, the lock is on the inside. And you just choose to stay there. Like, huh. Are you identifying with the Lamb? And, and my big point today is identify with Christ. Be on the Lamb team. Be on the Lamb team. He's given us the invitation. And he said, come. And we can be on the Lamb team. So I hope many of you said yes to being on the Lamb team. If you've not, remember the gospel itself is an invitation to be part of a new king and a new kingdom. 
It's a kingdom that wasn't won by human empires or physical violence. It was won by the Lion of Judah, who was strong enough as a lion, but laid down his life as a lamb. And he offers hope and freedom. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I encourage you to join the Lamb's team today. It's a good day. Every day is a good day because it, it could come at any time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Help us to be the people of the Lamb this week. That, Father, we would be your hands and feet in the world. That our identity wouldn't be any other branding, no other marking, but the marking of a follower of Jesus, your Son. Help us to put that into action this week, that we uh, could, could show others that we are identified with, with Jesus, your son. We are identified on Team Lamb. And may we be your, uh, your, your instruments of hope and love to the world until you come back. In Jesus' name, amen.